Good morning, Northwest. It is a blessing to be here. I'm honored to be able to bring the word this morning. So thank you, pastors, for allowing me to do this. We are in the middle of a series. Next week will be our last Sunday in this particular series, and it's called The Marks of a Church. And so he's going to fix me up there. So the first week we started off with what we believe, the beliefs of a church. Then we went to belonging, one to another. And last week we had a wonderful word on the worship of a church, how a church should worship. And this morning we're gonna talk about love, how we should love our city. And if I click it, will it happen? Perfect. Isn't that a pretty picture of our city? We went through quite a few and, and this is a gorgeous picture. So, this morning is not about the missions that we do outside of our city. We have plenty of things that God has called us, ministries that we, that we give to and that we support. We have a sister church in India that we support. We have a couples here in this church that have a ministry in Honduras, Adventures in Christ ministry, the Dunbars, we love them. We have ministry in, in, in Ukraine and IJM. There are many things that we give to outside the walls of this church. But this morning I wanted to talk about about loving the city where God has us planted. And I'm going to just go past this one just for time's sake because I have a little surprise for you at the end of the service this morning. So we're going to start here. Why should we care about Orlando? Why should we as a church care about the city where we're living in? We, we have our families to care for, right? We have our spouse, our children. Some of us have grandchildren, great-grandchildren. We have the people in our church to care for. We're supposed to uh, look out for one another and provide if someone in our body has a need. So why do we need to think outside the walls of this church? Why do we need to care about the city where we live? I think cities are very important to God. We want to go through this first scripture, and we're going to talk about this for a moment. In Jeremiah, this is one of my favorite words of God to look at. When I'm going through a season where I don't believe I should be, I believe I should be past it, I don't believe I should be in the middle of it, I want something more, I've asked and I've prayed God for more things, for greater blessing, for more influence, whatever, but sometimes it just seems like you are, I don't want to use the word stuck, but you were in the same place for a while. And this is the verse I go to, to, to recalibrate my thinking and to recalibrate my heart when I want to focus on something else. Let's see what it says. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. You're thinking, wait a minute, what in the world does this have to do with me sitting here today? I'm not in Jerusalem, I'm not Jewish, I'm not in Babylon, but how many of you, perhaps, might feel like you are in a season that you don't want to be in right now? You're in a season maybe of planting and you want to be reaping. You're in a season where you're having to work hard or you're having to start a new business or you're in a season where you and your wife really need to work on your relationship. Or you're in a season where you're in school and you have, you have uh, uh, bills piling up and, and things piling up and you think, I don't want to be here right now. I want to be, I want to fast forward a year. I want to get to where my promised land is. And so that's how I relate this verse here. There are seasons, there are emotional times that we go through, times of sadness or, or, or times of, of waiting. And we're like, I don't want to be here right now. 
I want to be happy. I want to be singing. I want to be skipping like a calf in the springtime. I don't want to be here. And this verse is for us. This verse is for those times that you think, I want to be where she is, or I want to be where that family is, but I don't like where God has me right now. So, this is what God says to me when I'm wanting to be someplace other than where I am. Build houses and settle down. No! I don't want to settle down. I want to break out and I want to run from the season. I want to run from the constraints I feel around me. I don't want to settle down. I want to be somewhere. I want to serve you, God, in another season. I don't want to reflect your glory in the crap I've made of my life right now. I don't want to reflect your patience and your mercy to me where I'm working. I don't want to reflect your glory in my marriage right now. I don't want to have your patience in this situation. I want to be somewhere else. And God says, settle in. Why? Why? What is, if I settle in, does that mean I, 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 I won't ever get out of this? If I settle in, does that mean I'm settling for? Settle in. Settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. I'm sowing seeds every day. I'm sowing words. I'm sowing actions. I'm sowing choices every day. Settle in and recognize, Crystal, that you're planting seeds and you're going to eat the seeds that you've planted. You're going to eat the fruit of those words. You're going to eat the fruit of those choices. That might be a wonderful thing, but if I don't recognize this is where I am today, if I want to be somewhere else, if I want to move to Canada, if I want to go to Alaska, if I don't want to be here where I'm planted, what am I sowing? Find wives. Uh, marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons. Give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there. Do not decrease. I want to speak to you for a moment prophetically. Wherever you find yourself, the situation where you find yourself, do not decrease. God is calling you to increase, to recognize his hand in the situation you're in and speak increase over that situation. Do not decrease. Do not shrink back. Do not lessen yourself, but ask God to help you through this place where you're planted right now. It's going to take a supernatural act from a supernatural God but he will do it. Also, seek, and another translation says work for. That makes it seem a bit more like something I need to do. Seek is almost like I'll be walking in the desert and I find something and I trip over it. No, work for, do what you can for the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you. Work for the peace of Orlando. But I don't want to be in Orlando. I want to be in... But I don't want to be in Orlando. I'm just going to UCF. I'm going to be out of here in two years. Well, guess what? For the next two years, work for the peace and the prosperity of the city. That's God's will for your life. 
Work for the peace and prosperity of the family where you are. With the job where God has you, work for the prosperity of that business. Well, you don't know my boss. You don't know who I work. No, I don't. But this verse says, work for the peace and the prosperity of the situation you find yourself in. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. You too, sir, in the blue shirt, will prosper. You will prosper. You will. You will prosper. I love it. So why should Northwest care about Orlando? Obviously, because God has planted us in this city. We're here. God has planted your family in this city. And we should do everything we can to bless the city where God has us planted, to bring health, to bring wholeness, to bring healing to Orlando. Mm. This church combined with hundreds of gospel-believing churches in Orlando is the key to wholeness for this city. I know we think it might be Disney. I know we think it might be a tourism industry. I know we think it might be all these other things that are big that Orlando is known for, but the churches of this city are commissioned to bring wholeness to this city. Why should we care about Orlando? Because each city has its own reputation. What, name out some things, just holler out some things that Orlando is known for. Disney, what else? Oranges, okay, what else? Beaches and sunshine and tourism. And it's also a melting pot. And I love the fact that Orlando is a melting pot. I grew up in different cultures, and I love that. I've gotten accustomed to that. I love the ethnicity of Orlando. And it's a taste of what's coming in heaven for us. People of every nation, every nationality, every tribe, every tongue, we're going to all be together around the throne. And Orlando is a great microcosm of what is coming. So, why should Northwest care about Orlando? Because each city has its own cry that ascends to heaven. Have you ever thought about that? There are several verses in the Bible. I've just picked one because many of us are familiar with the story of Jonah and Nineveh and running from the call. But it said, arise, Jonah, and go to Nineveh, that great city. Arise, get up from a seated position, and get involved in Orlando, for their evil has come up before me. Part of having a reputation, there's a good side to that, and there's an evil side to that. Um, I don't have the statistics, but Crystal Brunton, who is a representative for Florida for IJM, could tell you the statistics for trafficking in Central Florida. It will curl your hair, the cries of the children, the fatherless children, the homeless children. There is a cry from our city that is going up to heaven. And we need to care about that. More than just our own families, outside the walls of our church, we need to care that there is a cry that God is hearing on the streets of this city. 
We need to care because the key to a city belongs to the churches of that city. Jesus told Peter that he was a rock and he was going to build his church on that rock. And given to that church would be the authority to unlock and to lock, to loose things and, and, and to bind things. And each church in this city has been given that key. And all of us together can bring a health and a wholeness to Orlando. Every church has its own distinction. Every church's vision is different. Every church is needed to bring that to Orlando. So how do we particularly view our mission here? I've thought of two different, two different ways. I've kind of divided it into come and see and go and tell. And we'll start with come and see. And I call this attractional. This was, you see this a lot in the Old Testament. And it's when you invite people where you are. When we invite people into this building, come and see, hey, we've got a great Easter show, right? Hey, come on, we've got a great Christmas show. Hey, come on, we've got a, a, an encounter where you, can, where, where you can hear God's voice and where God will speak to you. That's come and see when you invite them to a place where we know that God is moving. We have many examples of that in the Old Testament. And God actually wants us to do, this is one of the strategies that God has to invite people to where he is moving. There was a, something that opened my eyes to this. I'm going to come back to that. When we were studying about the temple, and I was thinking about in the Old Testament how God, how it was a come and see culture. Remember Moses with the burning bush, he had to come up and see what was happening. There's so many examples of come and see, attracting people to what God is doing so they can hear God's voice for themselves. But what really touched my heart was when I was studying on the tabernacle of the temple, and I saw that God had designed in the, in the plans that he told Solomon, he said, make a place which we will call the court of the Gentiles. And I'm a Gentile. I'm, I'm not Jewish. I'm Gentile. But I also have access to God. But in the Old Testament, it was very, very different. And God in his provision, in his mercy, said, make a place so that people that don't already know me can come and watch and see and observe my glory. Observe my covenant with the people that say they do know me. And one of the things that is interesting about that particular place was, do, do most of us remember the story where Jesus was cleansing the temple, where it says he fashioned a whip, and, he, and he, was, he was righteously indignant because they were buying and selling there in the temple? Do, you, do some of you remember that story? Okay. What was interesting about that story, and I've always heard it taught, and this is true, that they were turning the, the house where they were coming to worship God into a place where they would make profit. But I think even more than that is what happened in the court of the Gentiles where they would set up those stalls where they were buying and selling. Those stalls, those vendors, modern day vendor, were set up in the court of the Gentiles. And what was happening is all the space for people that they, this was the one place they could go to see and hear and watch. Who is God? Does God care about me? What does, is God who he says he is? There was a place provided. But the people that already knew God were setting up places so that the people that wanted to find out about God, they didn't have room for them anymore. There was no place for the people to access 
point that was provided for people to come and see who God was was now blocked by people that already knew who God was. And I see that happening so much today. In our service, we have to be very careful that we don't just talk about people and talk to people that already know God because this is the court of the Gentiles too. And people should be allowed to come here and hear about God, hear our testimonies, hear the things that God is doing. And we shouldn't block that by making things complicated or by using words that people don't understand. I have a, a, one of my sons says that he doesn't, he, it bothers him, he's a pastor, he said it bothers him when Christians act weird. Do any of you all have friends that are Christians that act weird? He said, because, <laughs> I see the lands, you don't know whether to raise your hand or not, so I'm seeing a lot of these go up like this. But it's like you don't know, Christianity itself, what we proclaim to believe and what we do believe here at this church is honestly weird enough. We believe that, uh, that, that God came as a baby to a virgin. That's just weird. And yet we cling and we say we believe that. That's truth to us. And that same child was also God, grew up to be a man who was sacrificed, who rose again from the dead. That sounds weird to people. So if we're acting weird and believing weird things, it is going to be the biggest repellent. Now, I'm not saying we don't move in the power of the Holy Spirit. But that doesn't make us weird. We need to unblock the court of the Gentiles. In the area of your life that is keeping people from asking the question, who is this God that's in your life? What, you, you actually believe that God hears your prayer? You actually believe that God will answer your prayer? You actually believe if you tithe, God will bless you? You're just giving money away and yet you think God's gonna, you actually believe if you lay your hands on someone and you pray for them that God will move in their life. You actually believe that God cares about your marriage, that he cares about your children. He is God. For, he doesn't care about your children. But we believe that. We know that that's true. And so what can we do to invite others to say, to come and see what we know to be true? Let's move along. Yeah, don't know where I am in my notes, so I'll just keep going. My house, when Jesus had fashioned the whip and was chasing out the money changers, he said, my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations. For all nations. For all nations. He knew that that veil was going to be ripped and torn in half, and we could all go in. All right. How do we pursue our mission? Come and see. Come and see. Let me invite you. Let me invite you to my home for a small group. We are going to pray for your marriage in my home. We're going to pray for your son who is sick in my home. We're going to believe. We're going to take up an offering. You have an unexpected bill. We're going to, we're going to provide for that need. Come and see how great our God is. That's one way we bless the city of Orlando. That's not the only way. Because of the New Testament, it kind of switches from come and see to go out, go out of the walls and tell. It switches from come and see 
to go and tell. Now you've got some stories like the woman at the well that, that Pastor Jared talked about last week where Jesus encountered this woman and he had a conversation with her, a normal conversation with her, answering her questions, prophetically seeing what he needed to say. And what did she do? She went running to the town and she said exactly, and I quote, come and see this man who told me everything about myself. And the town, the people that she influenced, went to hear. They went, so she went and told, and she said, come and see. So there's certain instances where we can do both, where we will do both. I love it. So go and tell. This is missional. The other was attractional, attracting people. Now, this is on us. We have to go and tell. Um, I love how in the last 50 years or so, we've, we've gotten this revelation, this understanding that it's the pastor's and the elder's job to equip everybody, all of us, to go and tell. For, for centuries, people thought it was the priest's job or the, or the pastor's job or the deacon's job or the elder's job. It's all of our jobs. We are all to go and tell. If Christ has done something in our heart, if he's changed our heart, if he's, if he's healed our marriage, if he's done a miracle, it's on us to go and tell. And I love that. I love it. Proverbs 4. But the way of the wicked is like deep darkness. This verse has just captured my attention this week. I've been thinking about it a lot. The way of the wicked, and it's just people that don't know God, here they're called wicked, other times they're called pagan or unbelievable, just different things, but here, it's like deep darkness. They do not know what makes them stumble. Think how, sometimes it might, feel myself getting judgmental or I feel my, my love ebbing. How can they not know what's making them stumble? How can you not know that that choice is going to produce? How can you not know that being found in that place isn't going to get you arrested or isn't going to get you to where you need penicillin or isn't going to get you to whatever? I don't even know what they, anyway. How do they not know? But yet it says it's like deep darkness. And one of the Greek meanings of darkness is it's like a, a cloud, like, like in Genesis where it says it hovered, and eventually it just settles. It settles. It settles over your life. It settles over your emotion. And one place it says, and you just sit down under it. And we who are walking in the light who have God's spirit to instruct us, we think, how can you not? But it says, they do not know what makes them stumble. God, help us to go and tell, to go and tell, to heal the city. I'm gonna have the dance team come out as I read this quote. Well, actually, Sarah, wait just one second because I'm gonna ask them to read that, sorry. This is the last thing we're gonna do here. We can't wait in our building for people to pull far enough away to come and see. We have to go and tell. We have to go find them. We have to go share the hope that is in us. 
Did someone go and tell you? How did you come to the saving knowledge of Jesus? Your vocation, whatever it is, you're a nanny, you're an accountant, you're a neurosurgeon, you, walk, you wash dishes in the back room of a Darden restaurant, I don't care. Your vocation is your invitation to go and tell. You have people that are looking to you, people that will listen to you. That's your invitation. You've now received your invitation to go and tell for the hope that's in you. There is this really, really cool, this was the um, first century. This, I think, is apart from the Apostle Paul and his writings, I think that this is the first Christian apologetics ever recorded. And I absolutely love it because this is a man who's writing to the governor of his region. And he is arguing the point, making the case for the fact that Christians who during this time are thrown in prison, they're killed, their children are taken from their homes, they are being persecuted, not just you hurt my feelings persecuted, but legit persecution. And this man is arguing the point, making the case for the fact that Christians, you don't have to be afraid of Christians in the city because they would hear, the governor would hear, they're, they're giving allegiance to, to this man that, that rose from the dead and, and their first allegiance isn't to Rome and they're going to be a, they're a problem in our city and they need to be eradicated. And this man said, no, you don't understand Christians at all. You don't even understand what they're about. Let me tell you what a Christian is. A Christian is the heart. A Christian is the soul of every city where they find themselves. Let me read this to you very quickly. Christians are indistinguishable from other men either by nationality, language, or custom. They do not inhabit separate cities of their own or speak a strange dialect or follow some outlandish way of life. With regard to dress, food, and manner of life in general, they follow the customs of whatever city they happen to be living in, whether it's Greek or foreign. And yes, and yet, there is something extraordinary about their lives. What would that be? They follow the customs, they obey the, the laws, they don't, they're living quiet lives, yet there's something about the way they live those lives that the people are seeing but they're extraordinary people. They live in their own countries as though they're only passing through. Man, that struck me because how many things do I hold on to when God's reminding me that belongs to me? I gave that to you. It doesn't belong to you. You are a conduit for me. These Christians were living their lives as though they didn't own it. They're only passing through. They live in their own countries. Yes, they play their full role as citizens, but labor under all the disabilities of aliens. They worked, they did, they went to work, but they didn't take bribes. They didn't do the things that other people were doing to get rich, but yet they paid their taxes. They, paid, they did the things that they needed to do, the law of the land they obeyed. But all the, the, the goodies that, that people that they wouldn't, they wouldn't touch. Like others, they marry and have children, but they do not expose their wife and their children. 
They share their meals, but not their wives. This was huge, because in the first century, the women were worth nothing, less than nothing, and they were passed around. The children were sold to slaves. The children were given as sacrifices, but not Christian children, not Christian wives. It says they'll share anything with you. They'll give you the shirt off their back. They'll share their food, but they will not expose their children to things that are harmful, and they will not share their wives. They will protect and love and honor their wives. How strange. How strange. They pass their days upon the earth, but they are citizens of heaven. This is 140 A.D., Amazing. Obedient to the laws, yet they live on a level that transcends the law. Christians love all men, but all men persecute them. Condemned because they are not understood, they are put to death, but raised to life again. They live in poverty, but enrich many. They are totally destitute, but possess an abundance of everything. A blessing is their answer to abuse. Uh, remember I said this is real abuse, not imagined or emotional or abuse. This was the real deal. Deference, their response to insult. To speak in general terms, we may say that the Christian is to the world what the soul is to the body. I'm just trying to wrap my mind around the fact that someone in 140 AD wrote this. God, help this to be true for us today. As the soul is present in every part of the body while remaining distinct, so Christians are found in all cities of the world but cannot be identified with the world. I want this heritage to be said about us again. That Christians in every church in this city are the heart and the soul of this city, that we care more, that we bless more. When we're driving down the I-4 project, blessing Orlando is not the first thing that comes to my mind. And there's no cam in my car, we're first time thankful. When I'm driving down Maitland trying to get to church and it's, you don't plan on that extra 15, 20 minutes on Maitland Boulevard, blessing Orlando is not my first thought. But I'm going to change that because I love this city. And I love this city because this is where God has me planted for today. I don't have to worry about tomorrow. I don't have to worry about next year. I am called to obey him today, to love today, to serve today, to be this today. Amen? Let me do something a little bit different. Do I have your permission to kind of go off the rails for a moment? Well, not me, but one of, the things, one of the things that we do to go and tell is we have an open door to public schools. The thing that is stopping us from going into more and more and more is we're trying to train up mentors as fast as we can get them trained. So if any of you are interested in mentoring through the Lovely Project, give me a holla because we can use the help. We just met last week with uh, Wolf Lake Middle can you come? It's like, it's like the apostles in the Bible. Can you come over to Macedonia? We need help in Jerusalem. We need help. It's like everywhere we go, it's an open door. And I'm not exaggerating. That is the truth. Every place that we've gone, they've said yes, 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 come. And why are they saying yes, come? Why, why is this key to the education system opening? Because we want to bless the city. And God will provide where he's guiding us. So I want to show you, this is just very different. Now, if you're here visiting, come back.
back next week and it'll be a little bit more normal. But I wanted to, because most of y'all will not go into the elementary schools and do the assemblies like the dancers do and like the lovely mentors do. Most of you will not go to the middle school and, and, and work with those girls. But I want to give you a sample of how we are blessing Orlando, how Northwest you, you, by your funding, your gifting, your praying, you are blessing the girls in this city. So, Miss Sarah, if you'll come out, please, and I'll let you move all that. Thank you so much. Let me give a hand clap for this young man. That we work on like winded mules back there. I just want to give you a snapshot of what your prayers and what your gifts are doing. Now, the language of children is music and dance. Children are not inhibited about dancing the way as we get older we are. And so one of the first things we do from Northwest when we go into a school is we start dancing and we start music and we start loving those girls in a language that they appreciate. So I just wanna ask right now, these are the girls we're taking to the schools by the way. It's, it's not me that's going in there and dancing. It's these girls training them at an early age to lead, to love and to care about our city. Is anybody else excited besides me? My gosh. So, how old are you? Five. How old are you? Seven. Nine. Nine. Eight, ten. You're getting an idea. I could go all the way down. And we have the one, one lone token guy. Can we get a shout out for Dakota? Ten. For Dakota's ten. All right. So I'm going to turn it over to Miss Sarah. This, what you're going to see, is you. You blessing our city. Why are we having a building campaign? Why are we building 2016? Because in... February, we had 374 girls in this room. We could not fit any more girls in. And they said, well, why don't we just rent a bigger building? Why don't we buy a bigger building? 